Hello, I am Tommy Ludgate and this is The Creative's Table, a podcast where I bring together my experience of creativity from a career as a singer, songwriter and vocal coach and now as a coach for creatives. Expect chats with guests from all corners of the creative experience, live performances and letters from listeners. This has been a long time coming and I can't wait to get stuck in. Today I am chatting with someone who I actually went to school with. Making this podcast put us back in contact as we came together for this conversation. I am talking with Alex Cooper about the impact of ignoring your creative calling. Spoiler, don't do it. For Alex, this looked like him quitting his job on the spot after he realised just how important it was for him to follow his creativity. Alex is a screenwriter, director and comedian who's in training to be a shamanic healer. He has written for The Metro and has appeared on BBC Sounds Hook to talk about addiction, mental health and creativity. Later in the episode, I also welcome jazz vocalist Emma Smith to the table for a performance of Angel Eyes. And we have a letter from a listener talking about getting back on track with creativity when life distractions have pulled you away. Here is Alex. Hello, Alex, and welcome to the Creatives Table. Hello. How are you? Good. How are you doing today? I'm great. Yeah. Where are I'm you? I'm in a actually? small booth. <laughs> I'm in a small recording booth in Shoreditch, um, in a co-work space. Nice. Um, so we're going to jump straight in. I would love to know a bit about your creative experience, and I know that is quite a broad question, but I'm, what what comes to mind when I say, "Tell me a bit about your creative experience." Okay. I would say, in a nutshell, I thought I felt for a long time when I well when I was younger, I felt like I really enjoyed being creative, like everything from writing to I remember recording radio shows when I was younger, taking my dad's camcorder and kind of creating films with stuffed toys, etc. All of that. Somewhere along the way, I lost it, and I started to feel. I I then went to work in advertising and it was very much uh, dictated to all of us who weren't working in the creative part of the business that we couldn't be creative because it wasn't in our job title. That always really grated with me. And so whilst my job was very much logistics based, I then started to do more and more creative things. So I started Amdram, appeared in a lot of plays, uh, Amdram plays around London and then started writing. And then it only was when I quit that job and moved to a smaller company, which was focused on comedy, did I really start to enjoy the process of creativity again and think that I could do it. Because before that point, it felt very much exclusive. I was on the outside looking in. So my journey with creativity kind of started then. Yeah. And it's, um, it's interesting to hear that timeline of kind of childhood or younger years and there's that innate passion for it and then how like you're saying something can dictate or a job dictates what your day-to-day looks like um I'm curious when you were working in that job what did a, a general day what was it filled with and what were you doing 
Well, it was a very social job. So it was account management in advertising. So a lot of it was what we call client handling. So it was a lot of logistics, working out meetings, talking about strategy, um, briefing creative people to think of, to come up with ideas for campaigns. Those campaigns could have been TV scripts, radio, print, press, outdoor, digital, whatever, PR campaigns. But we all did the briefing, you know, and then we took the people's ideas and then had to sell them into the client because it was never so simple. In our agency, they believed that the account people needed to sell the ideas. So there was kind of this, you outsource the creativity to the creative department. They gave you back something and then you had to sell it and persuade the client, but typically was what happened because sometimes the ideas you got might have been a bit edgy for them or might have some gaps or might not completely tie up with what the brand wanted to do. So it was sort of persuading to give them confidence and then being sort of being with the client every step of the way to make sure they were happy. Um, but with so much time constantly spent thinking about um, what the clients were worried about, what they were thinking, being on the phone to them, making amends to scripts, etc. There's not a lot of room to think about anything else. It's a very dominating job mentally. And so you might get tricked into thinking, oh, I can't be creative because I literally can't think of any ideas now. But it's almost impossible when you're totally logistics focused. You know, mm. were you under the impression when you took that job that you would be able to flex that creative muscle as part of the role? Well, I walked into that job acting as if I was handing my CV in at a pub. So I, I had no <laughs> idea what advertising meant, like in terms of I had no idea on how advertising worked, at, like absolutely zero idea. I was just working at Carluccio's at the time. I'd gone up to London to hand out my CVs to a recruitment agency. And then this office was just literally next door to it. And I went in to ask for directions. And then they said, it's next door, but also we're an ad agency. And I said, do you have any jobs going? Um, and that was how I landed into it. I had to apply, get on a work placement, etc. So it was never even something that I had actively sought out. And then I was pigeonholed, you know, mm -hmm. so it wasn't like I even had um, thought I, I had sort of beliefs about what a creative agency did. Maybe I thought at that age, like it might have been a bit more democratic. You know, people always talk about now, especially ideas can come from anywhere. That was certainly not the case when I started in advertising at that agency. It was creativity only comes from the first floor and it only comes if you dress a certain way, if you act a certain way. Um, and if you uh, have creative in your job title. Mm. And so at the end of a workday, like you were describing, you're spending so much energy on the clients, the client handling. I love that expression. <laughs> I know. <laughs> what a funny way to say it. Um, what would your overall feeling be at the end of a workday? How are you feeling? A combination of, I swear I can do this when coming up with ideas. I like, I used to just sit there going, I know I can do this, but nobody listens to account people's ideas because they just don't, that's how they've been sort of brought up. That was how the agency was founded. You know, it was very much an old school agency and total exhaustion because we were sometimes working 60, 
70 hours a week you know like you might finish at 10 you might be back in then at seven you know it was it was hardcore like it was in you were maybe on four or five accounts all of which required you to be working on different things at the same time and by the end there were quite a few redundancies because the nature of the industry and yet it was so stressful that i just remember being in the office where people were regularly breaking down at their desks and that was kind of the environment which also doesn't feel like a fertile ground for creativity <laughs> mm. and were you able at that time to get kind of zoom out and get a perspective on on yourself and your mental health at that time i was drinking a lot at that time uh, like uh, for me that was how i escaped work that was how i kind of came off the adrenaline bandwagon if that's even a phrase <laughs> but <laughs> i drank a, i drank a lot and it was kind of the culture there as well as it was back in the day you know and so it it was difficult to kind of zoom out um because i didn't give my space to myself space to do that but also i think your first job it kind of dictates how you see the entire world you know like you have nothing to compare it against and so i kind of was so scared to leave the job even though by the end after five years i was really quite unhappy because i just didn't know anything else um and i didn't know that there could be other ways of working you know you kind of just believe that it's like a copy and paste across the rest of london um so i never had that perspective until i actually mustered the courage to have my notice in and that was the first time that i started to recognize that there are other ways to think about creativity um what led to the handing the notice in was there a breaking point yeah it was a combination of um which i look back on now and actually feel very grateful for i dated someone who sat two meters away from me and then we broke up um which was quite excruciating and uh you know a good life lesson is probably the best way I can <laughs> summarize it. But also, um, I just remember being in the office until maybe two or three in the morning with the creative director at the time. And we talked through the ideas and they were happy with them. I remember getting a call at maybe quarter to seven saying they'd had second thoughts and all the ideas had been blown out and we needed to come up with new ideas before 9.30, before we were presenting an entire campaign to a bank who shall remain nameless. And it was the most stressful couple of hours of my life. And I just wondered, why are we doing this? Like, why do we put ourselves under so much pressure? And is it really normal to see creativity as something that has to happen? Well, there's so much pressure around coming up with ideas that are right, that people completely disregard um people's mental health and so literally i got back from the meeting which actually went well despite us writing the presentation in the uber um it went pretty well because we all managed to sell it and then i came back and handed my notice in literally straight away yeah wow. i said i'm done it was it yeah. was at that moment because i remember coming back into the office and people were under stress and sort of not talking to each other in very nice ways you know just as they because they were so stressed and i remember just thinking do you know what? Screw this. Like uh, my life is so much more than this. And I remember someone describing me at that point in my life where they said, Alex, you just look so gray all the time, you know, which mm -hmm. is never something you want to hear. <laughs> so I think I'd, I'd reached the point 
you know, which we all need to, I think, with first jobs. Sometimes it's very tempting to stay in them. But I also remember looking at my boss, who was maybe 10 or 15 years ahead and thinking, do I want to be that? Do I want to be there? And my answer was Mm. unequivocally no. So that was kind of a good enlightening moment. Yeah, but that takes courage. I suppose so. It's, you know, there's that great quote, confidence is courage repeated. And that's what it felt like. It was like I needed to take a bit of courage and then every step thereafter got a bit easier because you have to. But it, it doesn't mean that you don't shit yourself in the process. You know, I was terrified. <laughs> I remember my leaving speech. I absolutely bawled my eyes out because I was so scared about what I was doing. But it was the making of my career, actually, mm. as of that moment. Not just the decision, not just moving to somewhere which tested my creativity, but the ability to put myself first and say, this isn't working for me anymore. What happened next? I'm hooked. <laughs> <laughs> I split my time. So I went to work at a comedy. We made branded comedy videos. So so uh, brands or companies would come to us and say, we have a brief. It's comedy focused because we know comedy is a good vehicle. Can you write a script? Can you create a film for us? And we had absolutely no idea what we were doing. But it was the best training ground because simultaneously I was doing that as well as um a friend of mine that i'd met from one of the amdram plays we decided to become a comedy duo i finally had the time we'd been planning it for ages but i'd never had the time or headspace to do it i finally had the time so me and him after every day maybe three or four days a week and one day at the weekend we were writing like all the time we were writing sketches together and then we managed to get we went to a an event where it was for the edinburgh fringe and so maybe about six months after I started this job, um, we started performing on the stand-up circuit. We'd done a bit before, but we really went into it hard. We got this guy who headed up a big theatre company up at the Fringe to come along to one of our shows. And we packed it out with friends. It was at the Camden Head in, in Camden. Uh, no surprises there. And, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and he said, I really like you guys. I like what you've done. And then we got listed at the fringe. And so it was kind of, and I was obsessed with comedy. So it was incredible to not, basically I was doing it from the morning to the night every day. And me and Tom at the time just carved so much time out for it. And then we started, because I was in a film production company, we then also thought, why don't we start turning some of these sketches into films? Like some of the ones that really do well. And we fished through, what not fish through, there were some directors that basically were in our orbit during the day that we wanted to work with because they were making waves um, kind of on the comedy scene. They came down. We got one of them down, um, someone called Alicia McDonald, who now is a, you know, has directed Christopher Walken, Stephen Merchant, like a big name. We got her down and she really liked some of our sketches and we started filming them together. And me and Tom just put any spare money that we had into filming and using our connections through my production company to start taking up getting it off the ground and that's the story really yeah I just it's great to hear the evidence of not only quitting the job and recognizing that you needed to but the space you then get so obviously you're saying I had so much more time to do it it's that space to let creativity flourish um Mm. and yeah just committing to it committing to it like 
you're saying through the day, through the night, doing all the hours. Um, did you begin to notice a difference on your mental health? So you obviously described where you were at when you left that job. What was the difference at this point? There was a, I remember there being a huge difference because I felt like I was doing what I'd always wanted to do. And I think that's something that a lot of us, when we're really in the race, you know, whatever rat race you're in, um, it's always about money. It's always about promotion. You get tricked into thinking that promotions are actually what you wanted, you know, because it's some form of jump from where you were. Whereas actually that was never really something that drove me. Um, and so it was an amazing feeling of sort of, yeah, like I'd really stood up for myself and I really started to, I actually, from the off, I've definitely had wavering confidence, especially in writing um, when it came to advertising, when I went into advertising and started doing more writing there, like fully creative work, I had to go through a bit of a pain barrier because I didn't believe I could do it. But with comedy, I always knew I'd thought about it so much since we were younger, since we went to school together. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I was obsessed with performing and finding the joke and knowing where I would come in with a joke in each particular sentence. So I knew I could do it. I just needed the time to do it. And it was a really incredible feeling. But that said, at the same time, I was really struggling with drinking. So it was like there was a real, I was doing what I'd always wanted to do. But at the same time, there was something that was very uncontrollable in my life that was threatening or threatened to derail it a couple of times. You know, like I was at the fringe, but at the same time, I didn't know how to kind of come down from performing. So I used to be drinking seven, eight, nine pints a night. And then the following day, I would be out of the back of the of our performance, you know, out of our theatre. While our intro music was playing, I was being sick out of the back and then having to basically mop my face and then run on stage. So there was a really beautiful part in embracing the creativity, but there was also something like that I was struggling to deal with at the same time, um, which cast a bit of a shadow over the early years of um, my comedy. What was the change that happened that led you to address the drinking? Was it something around the creativity? It was seeing, I didn't see or acknowledge the impact that my drinking had on people. I knew from, for example, when Tom and I went up to the fringe, I knew there were so many times where we were talking to an agent or someone and I would get too drunk and Tom, Tom would have to basically take me away because I would just make a fool out of myself. I would get totally just, I would be a zombie effectively. Um, and so there was always that where I constantly felt like I was unable to really show up. But the, the straw that broke the camel's back was in 2017. So a couple of years after we, we did two years in a row at the fringe, I think I saw in someone close to me's face, the impact of what my drinking was doing to them. And it's quite a self like, before that point, you're convinced that the only damage is really being done to you. And then you witness in someone's face that actually that is really not true. And I think I've always been more driven to act out of how I feel about other people and whether, whether I've let them down historically. You know, that's what's driven me to not disappoint people or upset them, etc. So to see that on their face made, it was kind of the light bulb moment where suddenly I just thought, oh my God, I really can't control this. Um, because up until that point, even maybe 30 seconds before they'd walked in the room, 
I never would have told you that I had a problem with alcohol and that I was going to stop in that moment. And then maybe 20 seconds after I vowed never to drink it again. And as of today, I'm five and nine months, five years and nine months sober. So, you know, it was a real, it was a big moment of my life, a massive moment. You like making decisions in a split second, don't you? <laughs> it's like, and now I'm not doing that anymore. <laughs> I'm very much all or nothing. I think it's the part of the addictive nature, I think, is very much like, okay, we're doing this. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, congratulations. Um, what are you currently working on creatively? Where are you putting your energy now? So I in a myriad of different ways. And like you, you know, I know you're incredibly creative and it's the same thing where it's, I don't limit it to one particular medium. So it might be some pro bono ideas that I really want to try and get off the ground. There's one called cold shower summers, which is based on something I realized, which was, um, which is the most obvious epiphany to ever have in the shower. But I have, I spend a lot less time having a cold shower than a hot one. And I did, I looked at the data and basically if you take a cold shower every day, you save on average about 55 liters of water. So cold shower summers is a month long challenge to get people to swap their hot shower for a cold one to save water. Because currently all we have in the UK when there's a heat wave is, oh, we're going to ban hose pipes. And I don't know about you, but I haven't owned a hose pipe since, <laughs> I don't think I've ever owned a hose pipe. So there's a limited amount to which I can do. Um, so there's pro bono ideas like that. I'm working on a football film, which is a feature film about, it's a true story based on someone I went to school with before we went to school, um, based on how a Sunday league football team became A-list celebrities in Argentina which is an unbelievable story and one that I just love talking about. And then outside of that, I now live in Mexico. Um, I live in Mexico City and I'm setting up a life there. So it feels like creativity looks a bit different. It doesn't need to always be about work or writing. You know, it feels like actually being creative with your life and mm. acknowledging that inspiration might need to come to you from embracing a different culture. So I'd say that's probably the three that are dominating my focus at the moment. And a last question. What is the one piece of advice you'd like to leave on the table for everyone listening? Oh. Well, I've already told you confidence is courage repeated. And for me, that is definitely true. I don't think any of my creativity has come to me you know, like Ernest Hemingway, where I, you know, I just show up and brilliance flows out of the pen. You know, I have to show up every day. Um, I'm going to offer two pieces of advice, Tommy, if that's okay. okay. I'll allow it. <laughs> Thank you for being flexible. Um, <laughs> one of them is about Elizabeth Gilbert's definition of genius, which was um, that genius isn't a person it's a moment you get given it basically. So if you show up every day, um, you will be given a moment of genius and it really takes away this belief that I need to become one, you know? Um, but the other piece of advice, which actually another of our schoolmates gave us, um, someone who is a really good writer, Rosie Edwards said, don't write what you think people want to read, write what you want to write because I fell into the other trap for a long time 
you know, I wrote things without really any emotional connection to them other than I thought this is going to win me a BAFTA. None of them did because it takes so long to get a project off the ground. You need to feel emotionally connected to it. Um, so those would be my two pieces of advice. Great advice. Thank you, Alex, for joining me at the Creative Table. Thank you for having me. And now here is Emma Smith with Angel Eyes. Emma has just been touring with Postmodern Jukebox. See the show notes for where you can see Emma sing live next. Try to think that love's not around Still it's uncomfortably near My old heart ain't gaining no ground Because my angel eyes ain't here Angel eyes That old devil sent They glow unbearably bright Need I say my love's misspent Misspent on angel eyes tonight So drink up all you people Please, art there anything you see? Remember to have fun, you happy people. And the drinks and the laughs are on me. The facts are unbearably clear I've got to find, got to find, got to find, got to find Who's now my number one And why my angel eyes ain't here Excuse me while I We have another letter from a listener this week. Dear Tommy, I am an artist and sign writer. My number one challenge when it comes to my creativity is switching track and getting back into the creative mindset when I've been parenting. It's a struggle to use the scraps of time I have effectively as it takes time to get my brain back into that gear. I also find that the longer I have been away from my work, for example, after weekends and holidays, the harder it is to pick up a paintbrush. Please help me to overcome the weird reticence I feel to get back into the thing I love to do. Yours creatively, Esther from Sylvie Signs. (laughs) 
Okay, what have I got for you? I think everyone listening will relate to this firstly. I know that I do. Um, My number one would be begin, just start. I think procrastination can completely take over in this instance when the noise of our mind and our inner critic can be really um, busy and opinionated. And even if it's just that thing of, telling you there's not time to do the things that you need to get done, that feeling of overwhelm, then thinking about the feeling of overwhelm and feeling like there's a million things to do, where do you begin? I suppose it also depends on whether it is the work that you are required to do because you've been paid to do it and so you need to meet a deadline or finish a particular piece or whether it's um, a case of just getting back into that creative mode and that creative process. But yes, my number one would be to just start. I have found in my experience of creativity, when I begin something and I just dip a toe in, that often it flows more quickly, I get into it, all the noise in my mind stops and I get to the things that I need to get to. The second thing is time. Isn't time just one of the key things that we struggle with in life, but also definitely in our creativity. Um, I think there's a belief a lot of the time with creating that we need a full day open to get into that creative energy and to make our best work. And if there's not a big open gap of space that it's not going to work out, it's not going to be a successful output. I would like to say that I don't think any of those things are true, but I know it's very easy to fall into that belief and mindset. So yeah, it's a funny old thing. I think sometimes we can get going with something creative and it flows really quickly. Other times it's a bit of a slow burner. Um, Either way, the end result could still be the same. So it's a case of making space for the creative work. And I think it's about being so, so specific with what you can manage in the little pockets of time that you have. Um, We can have a really long to-do list. We can have lots of things we'd love to achieve. We can go into a pocket of time thinking, well, I'm going to try and do this, 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 have a really long list. And actually it was never realistic. So being so specific, whether that is looking at your full week and the pockets of time that you're going to have, whether that is then thinking in the morning, okay, what can I realistically get done today? And being so specific about those things. Um, My third thing, my final thing is make peace with the fact that it won't always feel good and it won't always feel easy. And probably there needs to be a level of acceptance about that. So when we're really connected with our creativity and it's flowing and it feels easy and it's exciting and we're feeling fully behind what we're doing, that's amazing and we've all been there. But that isn't always the case. And so I think a level of acceptance about how we might feel, the way that we change, the way we change with the seasons, the way we change with our emotions, whether it's our hormones changing, things ebb and flow throughout time. And so showing up for our creativity is always going to feel different. So a little bit of a level of acceptance with that. 
thank you for joining me at the creatives table if you enjoyed today's episode please do subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform and why not share it with your creative friends let's build a community where we can revel in the highs and stand by each other through the lows Exciting news, the Creatives Table monthly coaching group will be running again in the new year. If you'd like to join us for a season of personalised support, unwavering motivation and the accountability you've been craving, see how in the show notes. Bye.